when we were singing about Jesus, something happens when we worship Jesus. Um, whether you want to or not, there's coming a day when every human being will bow the knee to the authority of Jesus Christ and say that he, in fact, is Lord. He's Lord of all. And um, we get the privilege of doing that ahead of time. (laughs) And in verse 13, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. He came as a baby, went to the cross, went into the tomb, came out of the tomb, walked on this planet for 40 days, ascended back to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back again. So, boom, 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 boom. Right? And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, what was going on there? Uh, God's people were singing against him, and so a plague came through. Snakes were, were biting, and people were dying. And Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole, and everybody who looked at that snake on the pole um, would live. The, the poison from the snakes would not impact them. And that's, that's a picture then, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So going from the Old Testament to the New, Jesus was lifted up on the cross for you and for me. He paid our sin debt in full and uh, really before the world. And death couldn't hold him and he came crashing through uh, that cemetery uh, to prove that death could not hold him, nor sin. And... um, Man, that was quite a day. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Eternal life, that's, that's you're never going to die, friend. You will have an immortal body, never sick, no pain. Um, isn't it interesting, the older you get, stuff happens to your body. Have you noticed that? It hasn't happened to you yet. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy stuff. But um, Here's the promise, so that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you took my place on the cross. My sins would separate me from a holy God, prevent me from ever getting into heaven. One sin is enough to keep me out of heaven. And um, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's John 16 that we're slipping into there. So anyone, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God, this is how God loved the world. Aren't you glad he loved the world? He gave. He sent Jesus from heaven to come here to represent him, the Father. Give us a picture of what God looks like so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, be eternally separated from him, but will have eternal life. Man, that's what Life Church is all about, really. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. We're not here just to 
come to church and, you know, look at our watch and then go home. I listened to some worship at home by myself this morning. But I'll tell you, there's nothing like coming together like this. God's people and singing with passion for him. There's nothing like it. And we endeavor that when people do come into Life Church that they will experience a touch of heaven because this is the closest it's ever going to be until we get there. Do you realize that? God's people coming together And so, what a, what a cool thing that is. Well, what's next? What's next? Do you have your Bible? Do you have your Bible? You want to go to Daniel? And... Um, I've been reading through First uh, Thessalonians, and I'm in Second Thessalonians right now, and uh, it's it's been it's been good to read it and let God speak through it. So let's read uh, Daniel 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep, and he called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. And as they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. And verse 4, then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, and tell us the dream. <laughs> and we'll tell you what it means. I mean, that's only common sense, isn't it? Really? And then down in verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, even you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're kind of putting him down a little bit here. Uh, gracefully, um, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer, and the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell your dream, and they do not live here among people. And uh, the king uh, was furious when he heard this. And he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Man, what a book we have the opportunity to read that gives us a picture of what, it's look, what it looks like to live in a, in a country where uh, it's, it's really foreign to be a follower of God. And yet we see Daniel and his friends living well. 
living strong for you in a culture that is so anti-God. And that's a picture for us, the church of Jesus Christ today, that we too are living in a broken world and in a culture that really doesn't want to hear about you, Lord, but we get to carry your light. We get to represent you. And we do it. We do it, Lord, not under duress, but really out of joy because it's a privilege to do that. Yeah. And you tell us the future in this book of Daniel, what's going to happen throughout world history. How cool is that? Because, God, you know everything. You know everything. We can't keep any secrets from you. So our heart, may our hearts be open. Give you the freedom and liberty to walk where you want to walk throughout every part of our life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go back in history 83 years ago. Um, this past, let's say, May, June, the fate of millions of people were, were in the balance because of um, Adolf Hitler was raging through Europe at the time, and his military could move at will. Um, they overran Norway, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, and France was on the brink of collapsing as well. And the British army was sent to try to hold the ground from the Germans to slow their progress down in the advance uh, into Belgium and France. And instead, the British army got slowly pushed back, 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 uh, to the sea. And how many of you know when you're up against the sea, where do you go? Anybody know? You go into the sea. I mean, uh, that's, that's about it. And the media was covering what was going on in Europe at the time, and in newspaper, uh, uh, the headlines were over 300,000 British troops were trapped at Dunkirk, which is in northern France. And um, kind of a, a dark cloud came across all of England because they thought, holy smoke, what's going to happen to our guys, to our men? They were supposed to make a difference, and yet they're, they're surrounded by the enemy. And... Um, Annihilation was literally knocking at the door. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, on May 23rd, 1940, King George, who happened to be a, a man of deep faith, by the way, issued a call for a national day of prayer to the nation to be held on that following Sunday, May 26th. Now check this out. 24 hours after the king gave that proclamation for a national day of prayer, what, what happened? Hitler put the brakes on his army from advancing anywhere. He just said, stop. No reason. Out of the blue. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, I find that interesting. Two days later, on May 26th, British people gathered to pray 
throughout the nation, church attendance skyrocketed, including a huge gathering at Westminster Abbey. People lined up outside the church, in fact. It was packed. Where people prayed to God for mercy. Oh God, help us as a nation. And it happened to be one of the turning points in of the war because at, even at 7 o'clock on that Sunday night, uh, a plan was made and the call was sent out across the entire nation of England for every tiny, tiny vessel, every boat, every size, ferry boats, tugboats, fishing boats, private yachts, whatever you had, if you could make that 47-mile trip across the English Channel to Dunkirk, we're going to try and rescue our men off the beaches. Think about that. And so 861 boats made that trip. They said, yes, we will help in the process. And they were sent across the English Channel with the orders to rescue as many men as possible before the Germans arrived. Hitler's armies, by the way, uh, didn't advance from May 24th until early June. That's crazy. Because if Hitler would have kept going, he could have easily destroyed these men on the beaches, invaded England, and the war essentially could have been over. Do you realize that? But instead... God intervened because people prayed. And in all, 338,000 men were rescued from back to England, including some French, Polish, and Belgium troops. And really, the, those in charge in England, they thought, man, if we can get just twenty to 30,000 men off the beach, we would consider that a success. But God heard the voices of the people that day. 338,000 men were rescued. Many influential people who were in the know of what was going on at the time made the statement, this is the end of the British Empire. It's the end. It's over. Instead, God saw to intervene on their behalf. And everybody who was evacuated from Dunkirk was surprised by another fact, because if any of you have been to the English Channel, even those uh, of you that uh, saw uh, June 4th, 19, uh, June 6th, 1944 on D-Day, the, the waters on, in the English Channel are always rough. They're turbulent. But for those few days where these little boats were rescuing the British shoulders, it was like glass. And amazed them. But God's up to something. And he was. In fact, on June 4th, Winston Churchill gave a speech to the nation calling the rescue a miracle of deliverance, which it was, a miracle of deliverance. And this morning, as we look at Daniel, 
It's very possible that some of you, and even some of you watching online, you feel trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. You're like this dude here. No, that dude. You feel trapped. The enemy of your soul says it's over. It's hopeless. This is the way you are and you can never change. You're always going to be on the the beaches of Dunkirk surrounded by the enemy. The enemy will have his way with you in your life. You're trapped in this addiction. You're trapped in this relationship. You're trapped in loneliness. You're trapped in despair. Hmm. But listen, you can't change by your own power. You know, that's why you failed over and over again. You try harder. You know, you try harder. Harder isn't the way to go. You, you, you rest in the presence of God because Jesus is the power you need in your weakness. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. That word stronghold in the Greek means to fortify, to lock up, to imprison. And that's that image of the, the chains on your, on your, on your gates to your core. That's what the enemy wants to do. He, when we give him room to, to intimidate us, to lie to us, and we believe that lie, it becomes a stronghold. And that's where really demonic power has influence over your life. And it cripples you. He wants to fortify. He wants to lock up and imprison. That's where people, when they're trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk, it looks like a hopeless situation because the enemy, that stronghold, keeps talking in the back of your head to say it's hopeless, man. You're trapped for life. But I can tell you this morning, friend, with all the confidence in God's word, that that's a lie from the enemy. And just like God intervened on Britain's behalf, God will intervene on your behalf when you call out to him and say, Jesus, I need your help. Right here, right now, Jesus, come rescue me. Because Romans 6.14 says, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Isn't it cool? The freedom of God's grace. Last week, Brett kind of spent a few moments talking about victory and walking in freedom. And that resonated with me because, friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should not be trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. That is not where God wants you to live. We all lived there at one point before we met Jesus Christ. Jesus came and rescued us off the beaches of Dunkirk. We said, help, Lord. I put my faith and trust in you. And he rescued us. And he gave us that freedom to say no to temptation and to walk in victory and freedom. Boom, that's what God wants for you and me. That's what gets God fired up. We talk about life change and life transformation. 
When you personally experience those chains falling off of you, when you experience being led out of the beaches of Dunkirk and into the land of freedom where Jesus resides, there's nothing like it. There's no comparison to it. And that really ticks the enemy off, man. That really ticks him off. I love what David wrote in Psalm 27. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. That's what the people at, in England prayed in May of 1940. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. Have you heard the Lord say that to you recently? Come talk to me. He's speaking. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. <laughs> Lord. I'm on my way. I want you to talk to me and I want to talk to you, Lord. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O oh God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. <laughs> Teach me how to live, O oh Lord. Lead me along the right path. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. We are in the land of the living. And I don't care what's going on in our culture and our world today. We are living in the land of the living because Jesus Christ lives inside of us. We are the temple of God's spirit. We are in the land of the living. That gets you fired up, man. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And here we are, Lord. Before we jump into Daniel 2, this verse, uh, when I was reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, man, it, it, it jumped out at me. And um, it goes back to the, to the beaches of Dunkirk where really so many wounded Christians are living their lives, crippled Christians living their lives on the beaches of Dunkirk. Paul writes, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. That is my desire. That is my, that is my Passion, my mission in life is to live my life in a way that's worthy to God Almighty. Hmm? For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think our words as mere human ideas. There's too many Christians today that, that when they read the Bible, they pick and choose what they're going to obey or disobey. See? That's why we've got too many Christians on the beaches of Dunkirk, man. They just, they just, uh, that's, I don't want to go down that road, you know. 
and they're, they're not human ideas. You accepted what we said is the very word of God, which of course it is, and this word continues to work in you who believe. You know what really encouraged me was that, and it, this word, when you, when you read God's word and you say, it is the very word of God, when you put the stake in the ground and you say, this is the very word of God. It's not human ideas. I don't get to pick and choose how I'm going to live my life or obey his word. I am committed to this word. Here's the promise. This word continues to work in you and who believe. It continues to work. Aren't you glad for that? Holy smoke, man. If you went so far with God and, and God says, I'm done with you, man. There's no more work to be done. You'd kind of say, man, I'm disappointed. Because there is something about the hands of God inside working and molding you more into the very image of Jesus. There is something profound with that. This word continues to work in you who believe. You know why you're bored with Jesus? Because that word is not working in you right now. You've closed the book. You've resigned on the beaches of Dunkirk. You said, it's hopeless for me. This is, where I, this is where I was. This is where I'll always be. As you listen to the stronghold of the enemy saying, you can't change. It's a lie. It's a lie. God created you and I to be with him. Do you realize that? Why did God create you? What is your purpose in life? God created you to be with him. God created you to have a relationship with him. That's why he gets fired up over you and with you. But sin, because we are born with a sin nature, sin separates us from a holy God. And so many people try to remove their sins by doing good stuff. You know, they think if I don't cut somebody off at Walmart, you know, in the aisle, the lane where you pay, you know, if I stop before the roundabout and let everybody go through before I go through. <laughs> if I'm good to people, that will override all my sins. That's a lie. You can't do enough good stuff. Jesus chose to pay the price for your sin and my sin. He chose to do that. And everybody who puts their trust in him has eternal life. We read about that in John 3. And uh, that's when we put our faith and trust in him. That's when um, life really begins with Jesus forever. Friend, will you do that this morning? Have you done that? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Is your heart hardened to the things of God? You feel like God has let you down. He's abandoned you. He's left you on the beaches of Dunkirk. He's forgotten about you. I want to encourage you to say right here, right now, Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you went to the cross and you took my place. You are my substitute. You paid my sin debt in full. There's nothing I can do to ever 
earn that. So I thank you. I thank you for taking my place. And right here, Lord, I'm putting my, all my trust in you. All my trust in you. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. And I'm inviting you to become my number one priority in life, my Savior, my Redeemer, the lover of my soul, Lord. I do that right now. If you've done that online or even here today, we hope that you would connect with somebody at church and say, I put my faith in Christ today. Will you do that? Will you do that? That's what's most important. And so we encourage you to do. We celebrate with you on the greatest decision you could ever make. Um, we go to, to Daniel, and, and um, uh, so here we go. All the blanks are filled in almost. Um, Daniel, um, verse 1, the king can't sleep. And disturbing dreams, something's pounding on his head to where he can't sleep. And it's, uh, it's really annoying him. And he admits, I need help. It's this thing, this dream is bigger than me and I need help. And he call, I don't understand. It's interesting, he calls these four dudes, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. How come he didn't call on Daniel? He knew in chapter one that Daniel and his dudes were 10 times smarter than these other dudes, man. Right? What he had a lapse in judgment, whatever, whatever it was. And the, the team says, King, we, we, we just don't have the answer. So verse 12, doom is creeping closer. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And that's where the king just lost it. He was so irate that these... Mm, knowledgeable men, studied men in the occult couldn't come up with an answer for him. And so he says, you're going to be executed. Your lives are going to be terminated. And number four, death knocks on Daniel's door. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, we see Daniel not saying, guys, we got to get out of we got to get out of Dodge, not Dodgeville, but Dodge. That's what the Westerns, right? We got to get out of Dodge, right? Right now. No, he, he wasn't in panic mode. He didn't get a, an airline ticket for the 12 o'clock flight out of town. He stayed right where he was. Because you know why? He, is, he recognized that his life was in God's hand. No matter what was going on around him, his life was secure. And so Daniel shows up in verse 13, you know, up to, up to the, fir- the first 12 verses, he's nowhere to be found because the king didn't call for him. But now he's part of that death group, man. We're gonna, they're going to all die. So Daniel gives some wisdom for the crises. He asked Arioch, verse 15, why has the king issued such a decree? That makes sense, doesn't it? Sure does. And Ariak told him 
what went down. So Daniel says, Ariok, you stay here. I'm going to go talk to the king, you, and we'll see what he says. If he says no go, then you can kill me. But I'm going to go see the Is that okay? Ariok says, cool, go, go see the king. And, and so he did. And Daniel, verse 16, went at once to the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Daniel had such a relationship with God because we know Daniel was a man of prayer. He believed in prayer. His life was on the line, just like the British soldiers on the beaches of Dunkirk. Their lives were on the line. If they weren't rescued, they would be annihilated. Daniel and his team would be annihilated if God didn't come through for him. And he trusted God enough to know that God knows everything and he knows the future. God knows the future. So I can sleep at night. I don't have to know. God knows. And this is where, man, pray in the crises, verse 17. I know you already have that answer in your notes, man. But um, we're going to drill down a little bit in the next two minutes on this. Daniel knew immediately what he had to do, didn't he? Because he was a man of prayer. He had a habit of meeting with the Lord. And... And so he did that. Daniel went home. He told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy. Doesn't that sound like back in England? The God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Daniel went home, and he said, guys, we have, we have to pray. It wasn't foreign to them. It wasn't like, well, we need to pull up a DVD and you know, re- refresh our minds on how to pray. They, they were good. They were faithful. They were in the habit of, of praying. And we see that um, you know, Daniel's not thinking, this is the end. I need to get my, my will in order. That's not what he's thinking about. He's thinking God's going to come through for us. And we're going to pray. And we'll see what God does. Isn't that a cool relationship? Your life is on the line and you can just rest in the fact that God will take care of me through everything all of the way. You can finish that off later. Catherine Marshall, her, her husband was Peter Marshall, uh, son of chaplain, great man, uh, great man, uh, writes this in her book, Admittance to the School of Prayer is by an entrance test with only two questions. One, are you in real need? The second is, do you admit that you're helpless to handle that need? Whatever I have learned about prayer has come as a result of times when I could answer resounding yes to both questions. Why would God insist on helplessness as a prerequisite to answer prayer? One obvious reason is because of our human helplessness is a bedrock fact. God is a realist, and he insists that we be realists too. So long as we are deluding ourselves that human resources can supply our heart's desires, we are believing a lie. 
And it is impossible for prayers to be answered out of a foundation of self-deception and untruth. Then what is the truth about our human condition? None of us had anything to do with our being born. Anybody have anything to do with you being born? Raise your hand. No. No control over whether you're a male or female. Anybody have control over that? No. Japanese, Russian, American, white, yellow, black. Anybody have control over that? No. We grow old relentlessly and automatically. Self-sufficient? Scarcely. She concludes, did Jesus have any comment to make about all this? Yes, as always. He put his finger on the very heart of the matter in John 15, 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to pray? Well, Catherine Marshall says, raise your hand if you're in need. Raise your hand if you're helpless to handle a need. (laughs) I think that qualifies all of us, doesn't it? I have to tell you, man, uh, we'll, we'll pick this up next week, but this has been on my, my mind. Last week I had a conversation with a guy from church here. He gave me three examples of men who are his friends that went off the rails spiritually. And one was a crisis. And in a matter of weeks, that man went off the rails spiritually. The other dude found some woman online and who was not a Christian and and went off the rails spiritually. And and he's He's in a bad way right now. He's on the beaches of Dunkirk. And the third man, likewise, bad decisions. Supposed to be a follower of Christ, but when, when the pressure came, when the crises came, they bailed, all of them. All three of these men. Casualties on the beaches of Dunkirk. Last night, I got an email from a friend, Ron and Julie Doby. You, you know them. They lead the singing for the hymn sings here. He's a retired pastor. Last week, his daughter-in-law was killed in an auto crash in Kentucky, 39 years old. Three kids were in the van with her. They all survived. And I was thinking about a crisis because my mind was on those three dudes that went off the rails spiritually. And he went on to tell me that, I talked to Ron last night and he said, my son and his wife and their kids are plugged into a very good church. And he's getting a lot of good support from the church family right now that's holding him together. He said, Julie and I will hear him in the shower 
weeping. over the loss of his wife. It's a crisis. It came out of nowhere. But because, because they had a foundation, they were anchored into God and they were anchored into a body of believers. Ron said, he's got a lot of good support right now around him. And likewise with the children. Did my heart good. When you look at choices people make under a crisis. But it's important that we prepare ahead of time. Hmm? Because we never know when a crisis is going to come. You never know. We live in a broken world. We're either going into a crisis, we're in a crisis, or we're coming out of a crisis. That's how it is in our world today. That's why we need Jesus. We need to put our eyes on him. Daniel did that in in Babylon, and that's why he thrived in a broken culture. And God wants that for you. Get off the beaches of Dunkirk, friend. It's time. And Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for our time together today to celebrate, man, the grace of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And Lord, just just hearing life stories and choices people make, people that say they're followers of Christ but totally ignore you when they're walking through it. They throw you under the bus and do their own thing. And Lord, how that must grieve you. And today... There are people that are on the beaches of Dunkirk far too long, watching online here this morning, chained to addictions, chained to unforgiveness, chained to despair. I pray today, Lord, that they would say, Jesus, break the chains. Rescue me from the beaches, Lord. Let me walk in freedom. Let me walk in victory, Lord. Because he has the power to do that. So right now, right where you're at, will you talk to the Lord? Lord, I'm tired of living on the on Dunkirk. I'm tired, Lord. I'm tired of making excuses. Prayer. I will pray, Lord. I will trust you to change me into your image. Forgive me, Lord, for rejecting you, making 
downplaying your authority and your rule and reign in my life. Forgive me, Lord, for that. There's a boat coming for you right now to rescue you off the beach of Dunkirk. And Jesus is in that boat because he loves you so. We thank you, Spirit of God, for the good work you're doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.